Lord, that is our testimony. We build our life on you. Lord, we place our trust in you. And it is well placed for you can't fail. You can do anything but fail. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you, God, that you go before us. You walk with us. You're in us, Holy Spirit. Thank you for guiding us, guarding us, giving us a pathway that leads to greater joy, satisfaction, fulfillment, leads to true life, life abundant. Lord, you are so good, and we so love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Man, it's good to see y'all. <laughs> ah. I missed y'all. My goodness. We've been all over. We spent five weeks in Europe. We've seen, uh, just let you know, we started off, we had an eight-hour layover in Paris. So I took the old gal and we had a little picnic under the Eiffel Tower. I I smooth, I tell you what, I smooth. Picnic under the Eiffel Tower. (laughs) Had the prettiest gal in the whole park. Amen. I tell you, I'm so thankful for Christy. What an awesome wife the Lord has given me. We saw places that uh, are amazing. We saw some of the most beautiful, supposedly, the most beautiful churches in the world. Uh, we saw the flagship church of the Catholic Church, St. Peter's there in Rome. And, and that, that thing, the nave is two football fields long. That's a big old church right there. They had gold everywhere. They had marble statues of dead saints carved and they had all kinds of stuff all over the place but there ain't no more beautiful church in the world than what i'm looking at right now yeah love y'all so much love y'all y'all are my family and uh i even miss carrie (laughs) uh what a blessing it is to be home amen I was ready to get back to Bethel, <laughs> uh, but it is—it was—it was so good to have the time to just, just uh, see God's creation. If you ever get a chance to go to Switzerland, that's man—that's amazing. Uh, but um, thankful. I'm thankful for sabbatical. I'm thankful for a time to just focus on the Lord. I'm thankful for uh, for you. I'm thankful to have a church so filled with people who walk with the Lord that, you know, to have leadership like we have and that I can be gone for six weeks and know that it is in good hands. Amen. I'm so thankful. And thankfulness is more than just the most powerful and positive emotion that you can have. It is that. But thankfulness, thanksgiving is, it's number one, it's worship. And number two is warfare. So we're going to be talking about how to defeat darkness. And, and it's one thing to look at darkness around us and say, yeah, that's, that's, that's bad, that's dark, that's a, a, a problem. But sometimes we have darkness within us. And that darkness, I'm not talking just necessarily about sinfulness or wickedness. I'm talking about dark thoughts. And our, our, your thought life is the control center of your life. Your life moves in the direction of its strongest thoughts. And it can be influenced by external, the accuser of the brethren, the tempter, Satan himself. And it can also be just your own stinking thinking. Your own flesh can, can influence your thoughts. And, and, uh, and, and, 
while we were gone, we seen thousands of swords. So we uh, we went to Scotland after after the picnic in Paris. We uh, we went to Scotland. I was smooth. I'm telling you, I was I was on my A game. <laughs> Uh, but we went to Scotland and we saw swords everywhere. My the the Graham family's from Scotland and and uh, you go anywhere you go in Scotland you see Graham. There's streets and I saw my McKean. They were dead. They're all dead. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, in Edinburgh, there's one of a, a a notable Graham is buried there with our high honors in the in the the St Giles Cathedral and. Uh, them Grams, they, they've been something. This guy was hung, cut into pieces, scattered all over Scotland, head stuck on a pike. Uh, later on, they gathered him all back up and buried him in the cathedral. And, uh, and uh, what, had one of them. Uh, y'all might be familiar with William Wallace. I don't know if y'all know who William Wallace is, but his right-hand man was a Graham. Saw his grave. On his grave there in, in Falkirk, there's a replica of his sword, and it's the, the Claymore sword, a two-handed sword. Maybe you're familiar. We've seen swords everywhere. Uh, over the course of my life, I begin to recognize a little pattern. There's weird things that have happened, and it's happened to us in Germany. Uh, as I've seen these amazing... I saw William Wallace's sword. It's this, it's this tall. It's, it's huge. Oh, boy. He's a big old boy. <laughs> He's a big old... So, uh, James Graham, that one of my family's sword, he was a mighty warrior. Saw his sword in Edinburgh, Scotland. Saw Robert the Bruce's sword. I mean, there's swords everywhere. And and then I'm, we're in Rothenburg in Germany, in a little medieval uh, village in Germany. It's an amazing little place. And we're in there. And this woman comes walking by with a sword and just hands it to me. Just hands it to me. Not the first time this has happened. She hands me this sword, and she says, that sword fought in the Crusades. I didn't know her from Adam. She hands me a sword. I was, a few years ago, I was down in uh, Independence, Texas. Anybody know where Independence, Texas is? Down there by Brenham. You know where Brenham is. Bluebell, amen. <laughs> Glory to God, Bluebell. They talk about that uh, Italian gelato. We got Bluebell. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what. Uh, so we were down there at Independence. This is where Sam Houston grew up in his home church. Saw his 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 pew that he said, and he carved his initials in his pew. Y'all don't do that. Uh, <laughs> and we're in this museum, it's Texas Independence Museum, and this old guy walks in. It's just being Christy in the museum, and this old guy walks in and takes a sword off the shelf. And I'm thinking, I hope he's supposed to be able to do that. <laughs> you know, he just walks in, takes a sword off the shelf, and hands it to me. And he said, that sword fought at San Jacinto. So, so I'm, I'm beginning to pick up a pattern. <laughs> People will hand me a sword of significance for no reason whatsoever. Other people around there in Germany, she hands me the sword. I recognize there's something spiritually significant to that. And this morning, I want to hand you a sword. And this sword is proven. It's powerful. It's a mighty sword that has been used, and it is proven effective. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. It is a weapon of the Lord that we know as thanksgiving. Amen. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. 
In other words, what does that, what does that mean in East Texas? Don't worry about anything. Just don't worry about it. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Everybody say thanksgiving. It's more than just one day in which we have food, family, and football. It should be a daily practice of worship and warfare. So instead of worrying, be thankful. Instead of worrying, go to the Lord with thanksgiving. Amen? Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When? When you're thankful. So instead of worrying about what you don't have, what you can't do, and what, just be thankful. Shift from the negative, oppressive, tyrannical thoughts that want to plague your mind and shift to what God has already done for you. And what God is doing for you. What God's going to do. Just shift to those things. And so we need, to, we need to recognize this is a powerful and proven sword. This is, a, this is an effective tool. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is, it, 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 it will defeat dark thoughts. When I talk about dark thoughts, it, it, you can just fill in the blank. Whatever that means for you. But some of us have an overactive mind. And, and some of us, like, I can lay there at 4.30 this morning. I'm staring at the ceiling. I ain't preaching six weeks. Y'all better get ready. I hope, how much time you got? <laughs> no, I was sitting there, and just some of us have an overacting mind. And if you let that thing run, it'll take you in dark places. And you can get, and, and, and sometimes these dark thoughts, they first start off being oppressive, and then they become depressive. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you can think back on, on losses in life and, and, and disappointments and, and, and broken dreams and, and family members that are not here anymore. And it takes you into dark thoughts and, and, and pretty soon you turn inward and then you go downward, don't you? And then once you're down, then you're out. You're out of the fight. You're no longer fit for, for spiritual combat. You, 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 you all turned into yourself and you're all so sensitive to your own situation. And, and instead, be anxious for nothing but all things. Turn to God and be thankful. Amen. Amen. We need to take every thought captive. Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, casting down arguments... And every high thing. Now, some translation says casting down imaginations. Either translation works pretty good. An argument. You got this thing going on in your head. You got this narrative and it's back and forth, back and forth. And, and you got, and it's an imagination. It's a, it's, it's a, an oppressive thought. It's a tyrannical thinking. And, and the scripture says, cast that down. Amen? Cast it down. Cast down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You know what that is? That's Satan. That's what he likes to do. He likes to take the high ground. He always has. This is a, it's not just military strategy. It's Satan wanting to get above. There in the scriptures, when you see mountains, what are you looking at when you see mountains? Just know that we're not talking about just a geographical hill. In the scriptures, when you see mountains, we're talking about spiritual elevations in which the supernatural wants to play king of the hill and get on top of things. That's why in the scriptures we see them always worshiping pagan gods on the high places. 
So when you say, see the scriptures talking about casting down imaginations, maybe it's an overactive thought life. Maybe it is your stinking flesh going off into stinking thinking. And then maybe when you get over here into these high places, those high things that exalt themselves, this is an outside source that is influencing your thinking. And it says that you have the authority to cast it down. Amen. Amen. You ought to get excited over that. Casting down arguments or imaginations and every high thing that exalt, exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Bringing every thought captive. Now there are some thoughts that I would just automatically say, well, that's of God. There are some thoughts that I'd automatically say, well, that ain't God. But there are some thoughts that need further examination. If a thought, now I need you to catch this. If a thought is 95% true, it is 100% lie. I need you to soak that in for a second. If a thought is 95% true, it is a 100% lie. Because here's what the scripture is. That with God... There is no shadow. This is First John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Satan is a twister of truth. And he, and he likes to take a, 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 a reality, a truth, and just, and just tweak it a little bit. Just tweak it a little bit. Because if you will accept that, then he can tweak it some more. And then what, what starts off, I, I, it's been a little while since I shared this story. We were, uh, one of our boys in the youth group when I was in Brownsboro, we were going to go duck hunting. And we, we went out uh, uh, on, on Cedar Creek, uh, Lake Palestine, met at 4 in the morning over by Rippies. Everybody know where Rippies is. <laughs> Some of y'all need to get a clue. <laughs> and so we put in over at Rippies. And uh, I had my waypoint set, and then uh, what light I'm looking at over there across the lake, and and I take off, and man, I, I got full throttle. It's pitch black, 4 a.m. And we're we're running the boat as fast as it'll go. Then all of a sudden, I see something go. Shoo. Boy, I pulled it down. What in the world? And I pulled out a spotlight and shine, and we were in the middle of a bunch of trees. <laughs> Thank God. I have worn out two guardian angels already. <laughs> we were in the middle of a stand of trees. I'm like, and then your blood just runs cold. Like, what in the world have I done? I picked the wrong waypoint. I picked the wrong light on the other shore. And so at first I was just a little bit off. But the further you go, you're in danger. And so if a thought is 95% true, maybe it's just taking you a little bit off course the first but because you then respond to the 95% true, pretty soon it's going to be just taking you into danger. And so take every thought captive and then recognize if it's not 100% true, it is not God. It's not God. And so in taking it captive, now what do I do with it? Well, I, take, I defeat it with the truth. I defeat it with the truth. If I were to tell you, well, just quit thinking about it. Can I let you know that don't work? Just quit thinking about it. That's just like, it's bad. It's just like telling Miss Christie, just get over it. 
<laughs> I don't do that. I don't do that. I never would do that because uh, she can get me. But you can't, I can't tell you either. Just quit thinking about it. No, it don't work. If I were to tell you, quit thinking about pink elephants. Well, you weren't thinking about pink elephants. But now that I said pink elephants, now you're thinking about pink elephants. Just quit. Just stop it. Just stop it. Stop thinking about pink elephants. <laughs> and now you're thinking about pink elephants. If I tell you, quit thinking about a snicker bar. Now all of a sudden, you ain't got the taste in your mouth. <laughs> no, what you do is you purge your thoughts. You purge your thoughts. You push out the negative, and this is what purging is, pushing out the negative with the positive. You push out the negative with the positive. You take that which should not be there, and you remove it by flooding it with what should be there. That's good right there. That's preaching right there. That's, I'm preaching better than y'all. Amen, and I'll tell you that. That's pretty good. So to purge your thoughts is to push back into place what should have been there to start with, but something dark has entered in. And so now I've got to purge it. So if we go back to the scripture we started with, Philippians chapter 4, we're going to now look in verse 8. We looked at 6 and 7, and we're going to look at it again. But in verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, 100% true. Remember? It's 95% true. It's a 100% lie. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure. Somebody tell me what kind of soap it was that was 99, 44, 100% pure. Ivory soap. The first service, they just looked at me like I was. How many of us know the country and western song? Yeah, they acted like they were too holy to know country. 99 and 44, 100% pure love. Who sang that? Oh, no, it wasn't Dwight Yoke. <laughs> wasn't that Ronnie Millsap? That's what I was thinking. I'm sorry, I'm up here and got to get all carnal and stuff. Pure. 100% pure. Not 99 and 44 100s. 100% pure. Let's go back. I done got distracted. Verse 8. <laughs> Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think on these things. That's purging out the dark thoughts by flooding it with light. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't turn on darkness, right? You don't, you don't do that. We don't say, all right, turn the switch and, and turn the darkness on. That's just stupid. You turn the lights off. Correct? Because absence of light is darkness. So you don't turn on darkness. You turn off light. And when we have dark thoughts come in, it's because the light has dimmed you've you've quit thinking on these things you quit i don't introduce darkness into the room if the room was totally dark i could turn on a light and the whole room would shut up but i'm not just flooding the room with this darkness right here and see i just didn't darken the room by doing that did i not at all see light is way more powerful than darkness light always defeats darkness and it does it easily easily and so when I have dark thoughts, I need to purge them with whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are true, what are noble, what are praiseworthy, what are of good virtue. And then it says, think on these things. Amen? Amen. There's a sword of the Lord. 
the truth of his scriptures the truth of what he says about you the truth of what what if what are the dark thoughts that come in are, are they are they well i'm not enough i'm not good enough i can't get past this uh, i just i should be further by now man i've had all of those and a lot of them and lately just being real honest say well you're supposed to be a hundred percent now you just got back off a of sabbatical that's too much time with me <laughs> uh, and, and and all these dark thoughts will come in how do i defeat darkness with the truth you shine light on it you purge them i'm going to read it again finally brethren whatever things are true whatever things are noble whatever things are just whatever things are pure whatever things are lovely whatever things are of good report if there's any virtue is there anything praiseworthy? Meditate. That's just think intently on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, Paul writes, these, do them. Don't just know them, do them. Amen? And the God of peace will be with you. Now you need to remember that we started with this previous scripture, be anxious for nothing. It's four verses before this. It says, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Well, that's my issue, is my mind and my heart. My mind and my heart. The darkness uh, will begin to, to seep in, and, and dark thoughts will kind of take over. And, and, and you just, first you're... You have these oppressive thoughts and then they become depressive thoughts. We turn inward, we turn downward. And so what do I need to do? Just quit thinking about it. It don't work. It don't quit working. The, the brain just don't just turn off. Well, some people <laughs> do. <laughs> some don't turn on, I think. But, <laughs> uh, but what I need to do, instead of being anxious and thinking on the wrong things, I start thinking on the right things and let the light of God's truth purge out the darkness. Amen. And then it says, His peace. No, it says something better than that. Let's look at verse 9 again. It's not that just that His peace will be with you. Look at the last of it. He, the God of peace, will be with you. I'd rather have him than just his stuff. Amen. Because with him comes his stuff. His, his peace comes with him. He's the, Jesus Christ is known as the Prince of Peace. And so to be in the presence of him is to be in his peace. Well, praise God, we, we have truth. We have 100% truth. So don't let the accuser of the brethren start bringing you into an area of darkness because you've believed a partial truth. No, that's a 100% lie. I want to look in um, Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Jesus is not only our Savior, He's also our example. Amen? I thought I'd have a better response to that. Jesus is also our example. And so, what was the darkest moment of Jesus' life? The darkest moment of Jesus' life had to have been when he was sweating drops of blood. He was facing the cross. He knew exactly what he was about to go through. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that he was arrested, he goes before God the Father and he begins praying. 
and in the intense stress and pressure of knowing what he knew, the capillaries in his forehead were bursting and blood was coming out of his head. It's not just some supernatural thing. This is a physical thing. This was the humanity of Jesus. Show, the scripture showing us he was 100% human as well as 100% God. Amen. And he was going through extreme stress and pressure. And he's asking God, Lord, would you take this away from me? Could I, I not do this? Do what? Go through the cross. Not only was it the, the, the whipping that he would go through with the Roman cat of nine tails, this, 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 this uh, whip that had metal and, and glass shards in the, into the whip itself and that would just tear the flesh off his back. He, the physical pain that he would go through would be more than any other human, but, but not just the physical. He would have the sins of the world laid upon him. And he knew it. And he said, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, and yet, not my will, but yours be done. So here are the things that Jesus did. Number one, he expressed his struggle. It's okay to express your struggle. Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Amen. Ain't that good? cast all your cares on him because he cares for you so it's okay jesus did it it's not a sin to express the struggle and so express your struggle and then number two accept god's will he said nevertheless not my will but yours be done and so he accepted god's will and and sometimes we just don't want to accept it i that, that can't be god that can't be his will that he, surely he wouldn't surely he just wants me uh, to, to be gliding downhill with the sun on my back and the wind in my face and everything be peachy keen and perfect. But no, in fact, God sometimes has us go through hard stuff. Sometimes we have to do the hard things to get the good things. And so Jesus, number one, expressed the struggle and then he accepted what he wasn't going to change. I think he could have changed it. He could have refused the cross. He said, nobody takes my life. I lay it down willingly. But he accepted what he wouldn't change because, here's the third part, he looked past it to the reward. And what he didn't want to change, what he would not refuse the cross for, was look around, me and you. He looked past the cross and the, and the hell of it. And he looked to us. And he said, I'm willing to go through that for them. Does that not mess you up? Don't that just mess you up? That, that Jesus would say, my reward is them. And so I'm willing to go through hell on earth to get them. Thank you, Lord. And here's how I know that that's true. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, because he's our example. Amen? He's not just our Savior. He's also our example. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, now, if I'm looking in the Garden of Gethsemane at him pouring sweat and blood out of his head, that does not look like joy to me. That's not the kind of joy I want to experience. That don't look like joy to me. That looks like stress. That looks like pressure. That's not the joy that we're talking about. Where was the joy? Let's look. So looking unto Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He didn't enjoy the cross. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and it sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So how do we see joy? Well, he looked past it. 
So number one, he expressed his struggle. Number two, he accepted what he wouldn't change. And then number three, he looked past to the reward. He looked past the pain. He looked past the struggle. He looked past uh, the, the hell of a crucifixion, a Roman crucifixion. He looked to the reward. And guess what the reward of that crucifixion was? It's me and you. That's it. <laughs> You're it. And I look at the mirror sometimes and I say, oops, sorry. <laughs> it ought to have been more than this. But yet, here's what the scripture says in John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, verse 20. Now, if we look over the whole chapter, I'll just tell you this is what's going on in John 17. Jesus is praying to God the Father. John, the apostle, must have been close by as we now have it recorded. He prayed to the Father. He prayed first in verses 1 through 5 for himself that he might be able to complete the task ahead of him. He next prayed for his disciples, the 12, the, the disciples made apostles, verses 6 through 19. But then I get excited starting verse 20. I mean, that's good stuff back there. But uh, verse 20, guess who gets in on it? Me. I get in on it. And you do too. Verse 20. And I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me. That's us. Jesus, before the cross, was praying for us. And he says, they will believe me through their, and that's the previous verses, the apostles' word. In other words, the scripture. So he's praying for us. He says, verse 21, that they, will all, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. How will the world believe that, Je- that God the Father sent Jesus the Son? By us being united. Us being one. That's what he said. Verse 23. I in them, Jesus is in me, and you, God the Father, is in Jesus, that they may be made perfect in one. Perfect being not sinless and absolutely none of us in the room has, has, lives an absolute perfect life. I wish that were the case. But we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. And in maturity as oneness, as Philippians 4, 11 and 12 says, that we have come together in maturity and that is in his eyes perfect. Mm. I and them, you and me, and they may be made perfect in one that the world may know that you have sent me. And here's when it, this has messed me up. And I have loved them as you have loved me. In the New King James translation, it loses a little bit of its mm, punch. If you're reading the New Living Translation, similar translation, here's what this literally is saying. This is what Jesus himself is literally saying to God the Father. God, I thank you that you love them as much as you love me. Now, Jesus has a reason to be loved. He was born the Son of God. He lived God the Son. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He was completely obedient to His Heavenly Father. I, on the other hand, have been wicked and sinful and rebellious and want to do my thing in my time and do it my way and I don't want you in my way and I don't want you stopping me from doing what I... And then I say, how could you love me the way you love Jesus? Well... 
Here's the thing with God. I had a young lady come after the first service. She said, explain that to me. When I, I, here's what I said. Love don't have to have a reason. She said, explain that to me. I said, God don't have to say I love her because and I love her if or I love her when. He just loves. He don't have to have a reason. He don't, he don't have to, you don't have to fit a criteria for him to love you. Amen? You don't have to fit some kind of a mold or a model for him to love you. He just does. And, and not only that, he don't just kind of tolerate us. He loves us as much as he loved Jesus. That messed me up. It, I'm telling you, I studied that verse of Scripture when I first heard it in that other translation. I studied it for a solid week. I'm like, no, there's got to be something wrong. That's a bad translation. Somebody missed. No. It says what it says. And here's the thing. That, my friend, is 100% true. That's 100% true. What is 100% lie is that God loves you when you do right. God loves you some of the time. That God loves you when your life is in alignment with His. No. He doesn't have to have a reason to love you. He just does. Hmm. And that in itself is reason to be thankful. That's the sword in your hand. That when you fail, when I fail, and dark thoughts dominate, I'm going to come back to that scripture. Thank you, God, that you love me. So much that you were willing to look past the cross to this little knucklehead that can be doing pretty good one minute and blow it the next. And you say, I still go to the cross for him. I still do it for her. I still do it for them. They don't have to be perfect. I love them. It's not that we give up on trying to be holy because he said, be ye holy because I am holy. No, I don't. When, when, when I recognize how much he loves me, I want to be better. It's not, it's, not, it's not greasy grace where we just <laughs> do whatever we want to do and say, oh, he, he loves us. No, when you think about how, how much he loves you and you are his reward. So much of a reward. What, what, is, what is something's value? This is a good question. What is valuable to me may mean nothing to you. What is something's value? Something's value is what you're willing to pay for it. Then if he's willing to pay what he paid for you, how valuable, how valuable are you? Amen.